Boston College's roster continues to be shaken up. We'll look at some of the players that are heading out, and is this an issue for Jeff Halfley's staff? All of this and more on today's Locked On Boston College. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Boston College. AJ Black here. Thank you all for listening. Today's show is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special year in financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. On Thursday, another player entered the transfer portal, and this was the most shocking one of all. Up to now, Boston College has had eight players enter the transfer portal. And on on Thursday, excuse me, freshman Sean Asbury, a cornerback from Highland Springs, Virginia, entered the transfer portal. Now, he was a true freshman. He played in seven games, had five tackles this year. He filled in for Brandon Sebastian after Sebastian went down with an injury against Louisville. However, Asbury's year was cut short when he broke his arm and was lost for the rest of the year. Now, I can't get into the specifics of why he's gone, but I can tell you this. He's not leaving because of playing time. He's not leaving because of disagreements with Boston College or the coaching staff. It's a reason other than that. And um, I have it up on our website if you want to check out why. But I just want to make sure that you don't think it's because they lost six games or that they don't get, you know, what's going on with Halfley has nothing to do with that. This kid wanted to stay with BC, but it was another reason why. Well, So, as I said, nine players entering the transfer portal for Boston College. Is this a problem? Is this number too high? We had someone on our Facebook page ask, is this a uh, typically high number? And I would say it is high. But the reason why it's high is because of that super senior year. Rosters are completely bloated right now because there's players that are getting extra years. Now, Jeff Halfley, in his final press conference uh, of the year before the bowl game, said that he was going to have frank conversation with guys that he just didn't think would have bigger roles on the roster. And those are the, some of the names that you're seeing enter the transfer portal. Guys like Joe Sparacio, Hugh Davis, Kobe White, Aaron Boomeri, Dion Jones, Jamin Muse. There, there were other players that were jumping up to take those spots. Guys that maybe had, you know, a couple extra years of eligibility or fit their role better. So, you know, they are giving the chance to go someplace else. So, it's not an indictment of this roster, of this coaching staff. It's not an indictment of what Jeff Halfley's doing. Yes, Boston College's numbers are high, but so are a lot of teams. The roster, the the transfer portal is very, very active right now. You're seeing tons of players. It's very new. It's This is the second year of this like bloated transfer portal. And so you're seeing more and more teams lose these types of players. Now, Boston College will be bringing other players in. They'll find guys to fill some of these roles. But they'll also, you, you know try to push up the guys that they're developing as well. And that's what you want at a school like Boston College. You want them to develop their own players and then and then supplement them with transfer portal guys. So, of course, BC will add a transfer portal player or two. As I mentioned before, Jake Bobo of Duke, a wide receiver who's from the area, he's a name you might want to watch for. There's a couple FCS guys that are popping up as well. We'll have all of those, inf- all that information up on our site, uh, bcbulletin.com. But, 
some of the freshmen that are coming out, there's one name that you may want to watch for, and that is Cohen and Tringer. I'm probably messing his name up. I apologize. But he is a, a three-star class of 2022 wide receiver uh, at slash athlete from Michigan. He's from Ypsilanti, Michigan. And he released his top four today, which is Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Boston College. Now, that's a tough group to go against, obviously. You got some really good blue bloods in there. Or, you know, Michigan's a blue blood. Iowa, they're right on the edge. Um, but Cohen was just at Boston College this week. He could be getting it closer to his decision. Now, he has a visit to Iowa later on in the week, uh, the next weekend. So, you know, he's probably going to make those, um, you know, decide based off of his visits. He's visited all four schools and he's going to make his choice. Right now, Crystal Balls on 247 Sports have them all pointed to Wisconsin. That was all put out before... Boston College had their visits, and some of these other schools had their visits. So things can change. Things can obviously change. But he's a name that you may want to watch for. With National Signing Day coming up next week, there may be some movement going on. As we said, Amari Jackson's visiting Tennessee. You have some other guys that have been visiting Boston College. Who could be those guys that shift? We'll be looking at all of that and evaluating this class. As we said earlier this week, it is one of the most special classes Boston College football has ever recruited. Now, in a moment, we're going to be joined by Clayton Truder. He is the author of Loserville, the history of Atlanta sports. And he's a Boston College graduate who's stopping by to talk all about his book and his fandom with the Eagles. Now, let's talk for a minute about kicking things up a notch for the big game. The Grand State, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away and on location. The official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package to the big game. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with college stars turned NFL legends Troy Aikman, Marcus Ellis, Tim Brown, and more. Plus accommodations at five-star LA hotels and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. Put on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. This is how you're running your business. Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software to see the full picture you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes, close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your curve. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite right now. Through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash NCAA. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. Once again, that's netsuite.com slash NCAA. This is Locked On Boston College. AJ Black here. I am joined today by Clayton Truder, who is going to talk to us about his book, Loserville, and the story of Atlanta sports. Clayton, how's it going? 
Doing great, AJ. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Now, Clayton and I, we've gone back for a while, uh, back to our SB Nation days when Clayton wrote for Run, Run the Down, right? Or Run the Drive. Down, down the Drive. I still down do. The drive. I'm still the editor over there, yeah. Uh, down the Drive. Um, I, I get that confused with Run Run the Dive, which is what Steve Adazio's philosophy was for years. <laughs> indeed, uh, indeed. <laughs> but so Clayton is also a Boston College grad, and um, we wanted to come in, have him on to talk about his book. So Clayton, Tell me a little bit about yourself, first of all. I, uh, I teach at Norwich University, which is a small military college in Vermont. I uh, am from Vermont originally. I went to uh, graduate school in history at Boston College. I got my PhD uh, over a, quite a few years at, at BC. I was actively on campus there from 07 to 2010. Uh, I was in and around the Boston area for a few years after that teaching. Eventually, I got my PhD in 2018, but I, I lived in Boston for about a decade um working uh doing my phd on the side um and i'm 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 back in uh, vermont now and so you wrote this book and i i found it fascinating uh when you said when i heard the title of it many boston college fans thought might might think that's about boston college sports but <laughs> that's not here or there it's about atlanta so tell me what what drove you to write this book and uh tell me a little bit about it cuz i was i haven't read the book itself yet but it seems fascinating Oh, thank you. It's uh, available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all these places. It actually comes out on February 1st uh, through the University of Nebraska Press. It started at 21 Campanella Way, uh, which is now, I guess, Maloney Hall, we call it now. Mm -hmm. uh, at Boston College, I was sitting in my cubicle in the history department. And uh, in my third year of graduate school, I had to come up with a dissertation topic. And I thought about I, my, my area of interest is U.S. urban history, history of cities, the history of American culture. I wanted to incorporate sports in some respect. And I had the idea about, of writing about the history of pro sports franchise relocations. And I talked with my advisor about this. And she said, Clayton, that will take 70 years if you try to write about this, this very broad sense across North America. Pick a particular city, make that your area of focus. I ended up focusing in on Atlanta because in many ways, there's no city that, uh, who, that was shaped more by franchise relocations than Atlanta. Atlanta goes from having no professional sports teams in 1965 to having teams in all four of the major professional sports leagues by 1972. They uh, build the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium and the Omni Coliseum, which lures in NHL, NBA, uh, MLB, and NFL franchises to the city. So it all, it all started there, essentially, and it was my dissertation, which took me a number of years to write. And uh, eventually I took a dissertation, which is a very particular kind of a piece of writing, and I turned it into a more conventional story. And eventually it became this book, Loserville. So how, obviously, when you're talking Loserville, it's, a, it's about the struggles of Atlanta sports as part of it. How bad did it get down there? Well, by the mid-1970s, the, the teams in all four sports were essentially at the bottom of the standings in their leagues and also at the bottom in terms of attendance. Essentially, the story of the book is that Atlanta created a path to the major leagues by making these significant civic investments in pro sports in the 1960s. There were a lot of cities in the South and in the West that were looking to become uh, major league uh, hosts, but uh, they created a path for it, but it didn't necessarily mean people would embrace these teams or they'd be successful. One of the problems is they get so many teams so quickly and you have a, a bunch of novice owners in the city, essentially, and the teams end up drawing poorly because they're cannibalizing on each other in terms of attendance and the teams are also bad. Plus a bunch of other factors particular to Atlanta. Uh, it was really a recipe for disaster that no one saw coming. 
the part of this is that nobody had ever really done this before. The cities that had big league sports, whether it's in the Northeast or the Midwest, had been big league cities since the very early part of the 20th century. Uh, Atlanta essentially invents a process to become major leagues, a uh, league that many other cities, whether it's Tampa or Phoenix or Houston or uh, Jacksonville, have emulated in subsequent decades. So it, it got awfully bad. I mean, at one point, the Braves were drawing a couple of thousand fans a game. They were near the bottom of the National League in attendance for many years. The, Fal the NFL is built largely around season ticket sales. The Falcons sold a lot of season tickets, but they frequently had games where more than a third of the people didn't even bother to show up. They had two different games of more than 40,000 no-shows in 1974, which is kind of the, toward the end point of the book, um, meaning that more than 40,000 people bought tickets to the game but didn't bother to show up. Uh, so you have like eight, 9,000 people in the stadium as a result of this. So things got, got awfully bad in Atlanta, attendance-wise and also in terms of on-field performance. And obviously things have changed because you had, you know, Super Bowl, you know, I, I remember back before Matt Ryan, the Dirty Birds with, with Jamal Anderson. Mm -hmm. And I know they didn't win, but they got to the Super Bowl. And you, you saw it this year with the Atlanta Braves, you know, they win their, they win their title that the fan base did eventually start to obviously connect with these teams. How long did it take for the, for the community to start to embrace the Falcons, the Braves and the Hawks? Well, it differs a little bit for each organization, but the turning point is really the end of my book. The, the book covers largely the 1960s and 1970s. And when Ted Turner purchases the Braves in 1976 and then the Hawks in 1977, have somebody who, first of all, is going to keep these teams in town because the Braves may well have relocated. They were offered a position in, in Toronto before the Blue Jays got there. They were considering splitting their games with the Superdome in New Orleans. And the Hawks were could well have moved to another city as well. They were drawing atrociously and performing poorly on the court. Turner, because he owns the TBS networks and needs cheap programming, the Braves and Hawks served as the anchors of his programming for many years. This keeps Atlanta a major league city, and over time, eventually, Turner gets the right people in place in terms of uh, managing these organizations and builds the Braves into a powerhouse. And the Hawks, by the late 1980s, are a pretty pretty good drawing and fairly successful team in the Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb era as well. Um, the Braves have been very good for probably really about 30 years now. For yep. the most part, been a pretty successful franchise. The other franchises in town, the, the Hawks and Falcons, have really, I would say, been fairly uh, average organizations in terms of their success. They've had periods of, of where they've done very well, other periods where they've done poorly. The turning point is having ownership that is committed to what's going on locally and also ownership that is, I, I guess I would say, following the, the standards of pro sports in the sense of it being a large corporate enterprise. Uh, if you looked at the Falcons until 2001, their, their owners were this family uh, known as the Smiths. Um, they owned a big insurance business uh, in, in, in the region and were very good at selling insurance. They ran essentially a mom and pop football operation and it showed on the field. The Falcons were below average in attendance in 30 of their first 35 years. They didn't make the playoffs until their 13th year in the league, 1978. So that was a fairly poorly run organization. Um, in the case of the Braves, you had out of town ownership for the first decade there. You had a bunch of um, essentially the sons of wealthy industrialists in Chicago who owned the Braves for their first 10 years in town. And it was very much an absentee ownership and the team uh, ended up struggling as a result of it. So once ownership got better, whether it's with Arthur Blank with the Falcons 
for the Turner organization with both the Hawks and the Braves. And these have since been sold to other corporate entities. Um, once ownership changed, the, the, uh, the tenor and success of these organizations changed as well. It's so interesting that you brought up Ted Turner because as a child of the eighties, I did not have, I'm up in the, I'm obviously in Massachusetts, you know, all the Red Sox games were on Nesson and it wasn't, it was like a premium package. My parents never bought. And so what did I watch? TBS and I can watch the Braves every single week because that was the only games that I could watch because the Red Sox weren't on. So it, that, that, that gave that, you know, Turner, you know, I'm a wrestling fan to go along with this. He did such a good job of like exposing people to things to get on his shows, like, you know, wrestling, the Braves, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, it, 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 as I get older, you just start to acknowledge all the things that he's done. We're going to have to talk wrestling sometime because I'm a huge wrestling fan too, particularly <laughs> in a historical sense. There's a lot of wrestling in this book because one of oh. the issues that all these teams face is that they have to compete with the existing sporting culture in town. Just Mm -hmm. because there's teams with Atlanta across their chest doesn't mean people are going to stop being interested in the things they liked before the big leagues got to town. Whether it was college football, whether it was golf, whether it was boating, whether it was stock car racing, whether it was professional wrestling. A particularly striking example is that um, before the Omni gets built, there's a place called the City Armory, or also known as the City Auditorium. It was built during the Cleveland administration, and it's where... Georgia Championship Wrestling was held during the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. It was a 5,000 seat, um, basically a, a like a sweat lodge. There was there was no air conditioning. They would sell out every single week, whether it was the summer, whether it was the spring, it didn't matter. People just going crazy, hooting and hollering for pro wrestling. On many occasions, the Atlanta Hawks playing at the brand new Omni Coliseum with Pete Maravich, the best known basketball player in the country on their team, were outdrawn at the city armory by pro wrestling on a Friday night, there'd be two or 3000 people watching pro basketball, watching an NBA team sitting in movie theater seats, watching people, most famous player in the country. And 5,000 people were just cheering and hooting and hollering for dusty roads, a couple of miles up the road at a beaten up old 19th century armory. When you brought up Georgia championship wrestling, I was like, I'm, I'm trying, I was trying to think back in my brain. I'm like, who are the big names? Hogan was in there at one point, wasn't he? Hogan very briefly in town, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair was in town yep. in the era of the territory system in pro wrestling, really before it became just, just Turner and McMahon, the guys moved around a lot because they yep. like do a storyline and then move somewhere else. So guys who were in other places were, were there for a long time too. Um, basically all the big names you get, you get to know through WCW in the early years are guys who were prominent in Georgia championship wrestling in the in the 70s and 80s. Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, those were big guys in town. Those were the major heels for uh, for quite a while. So if you're familiar with WCW, you know a lot of the names from Georgia Championship Wrestling as well. Mitch Turner starts broadcasting around the country in the mid-70s. He, in many ways, helps to destroy the old territorial system of wrestling because mm-hmm. the idea was you wouldn't broadcast into other people's uh, neck of the woods and everybody around the country is all of a sudden seeing pro wrestling at the omni in atlanta so yeah we can talk about wrestling but i get a feeling a lot of my <laughs> listeners are going to get bored by that but, so clayton and i will take that off air and uh we're going to talk bc sports in just a moment but i'm going to talk to him about a little bit about cincinnati because they've got some big news coming up too they do so this holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, or even better than a, ca- a candy bar, it's the Built Bar. Filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and high in protein. You get the both, best of both worlds. It's 
healthy and delicious. I was actually just talking to my wife about this right before I recorded with Clayton that um, the Built Bar has been helping her throughout her day at work when she doesn't have the time to eat a sandwich or a salad or yogurt. She can just grab a Built Bar in between clients, get going. It gives her the power. She was just telling me that this is saving her at work all week long. So there's so many flavors you can try. Raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, or double chocolate, cookies and cream, or peanut butter brownie. They're all good. You need to try them all. They have multi-packs you can try. Just go to built.com. You can check out what they have. Now, like some of these marshmallow treats around the holidays, you need to get your hands on Built Bar Puffs. These are also delicious. They're light, fluffy, and marshmallow through and through. Decadent flavors all covered in chocolate. They taste so good. You won't believe that they're filled with protein. All you have to do is go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. This is AJ Black, Locked On Boston College. Thank you all for listening. If you have not listened to all our shows this week, go on back. There's some great stuff that we've been talking about. We talked hockey, we talked basketball, recruiting, you name it, we have it. Let's go back in our archives, hit that play button. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We are with Clayton Truder. He is the editor of Loserville, which you can find on February 1st on Amazon and all other, uh, a lot of other different um, online sources. You can follow Clayton Truder at on Twitter at Clayton Truder, uh, at Clayton Truder, excuse me, um, for all his takes. And as I was saying, as we kick this off, Clayton and I, we knew each other. We talked uh, the last time BC played, uh, they played Cincinnati in a bowl game uh, a couple of years ago in a game that really kind of kicked off, I think, the Bearcats ascendancy. And now they are in the playoffs. Clayton, talk a little bit about where um, where Cincinnati fans are right now in terms of their excitement towards this playoff system. I, I think they don't know what to think at this point. I mean, it, they spent basically the entirety of the last year being resentful about things not going well in terms of the playoff last year. And I completely understand that. Essentially, you just had a year leading up to this particular moment. And I think there's almost a sense of relief among them. The team finally achieved this. I mean, we really spent a year being mad at Ohio State and all the other teams who got in the play- Notre Dame got in the playoffs a- ahead of us. I think finally they see a path forward with getting into the playoffs, also moving to the Big 12 as well. I think there's a certain attitude almost like, do we even need the Big 12 among certain portions of the fan base? Wow, um, really? Looking at, looking at, well, I mean, part of things you look at, Oklahoma State was a very solid team, had, was a one-loss team, had to even – to even get a chance to get in, they needed some help in that final weekend. They lost, so it didn't come up. But I kind of wonder how much how much better would a position would Cincinnati be in being in the Big 12, looking at what a um, uh, a submerged position they seem to be in right now. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of an odd moment for Bearcats fans. I mean, certainly a moment of great joy as well. But uh, I, I think they're trying to figure out what the future of the program is going to be. And I think Boston College and Cincinnati fans are both going to just stare at Ryan Day and wonder when he's going to leave. Because <laughs> right now, if he leaves, you guys would be worried because I feel like he would go after they would go after Luke Fickle before Jeff Halfley, just based on the, the track record of both coaches. But if Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley starts doing better, maybe he's the guy that ends up in, in, uh, in Columbus. Now, you follow Boston College as well. Talk a little bit about what you've been thinking about anything BC sports. I'll give you an open mic here, Clayton, to talk about anything BC sports related you would like to bring up. Well, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I've been following BC since really, two, I mean, I, I didn't have a strong connection with them before I ended up at grad school in BC, but I got there in 2007. Mm. Um, it was the Matt Ryan senior year, the team that got to number two in the rankings and finished number 10. And, and it was, it was a great time to be there and be part of a program. 
postgraduate students end up fairly aloof, I would say, from the, the undergraduate teams. I went to the University of Vermont. They didn't have a football team. I am a lifelong college football fan. I followed it closely since I was like five years old. Going to a college that played Division I football, let alone one that played in the ACC, was incredibly exciting for me. So I was a season ticket holder my entire time. I lived in Boston, and I think I missed like maybe two home games. And it was like, you know, like like the one after Thanksgiving, I think I missed a couple of mm-hmm. times. But yeah, I, I've, I've followed BC football closely ever since then. And, um, you know, it's it, it certainly requires some character to stay a BC fan over time. But, I mean, being in the ACC is a, for, for what is a relatively small school in, in, uh, in Boston, I, I, th- I think in many ways things have gone pretty well, um, considering. Um, in terms of this year, in terms of the military bowl, East Carolina is no joke. I mean, I follow just from following them, the AAC with Cincinnati, uh, they, they can move the ball very well. They have an excellent fan base too. I, I, I will be very surprised if they don't draw well for the game. Yep. Um, they, they play in a town that has Greenville has like 20,000 people in it, but they draw like 35,000 people to every game. I mean, a couple of times I've thought to myself, there's probably no town in America. I'd be more qualified to live in than Greenville, uh, North Carolina. I know there's a guy named Cliff Brock who's a radio host down there and they have sports trivia at bars like three or four nights a week in this little town. I feel like that's what I would do every single week. I would mm-hmm. go play sports trivia. They, they fill up for basketball. They fill up for, 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 for football. They fill up for, uh, for, um, for baseball as well. It's a, you know, it, it, you, you got a college library. I got a place where I can go do my writing. You've got teams that I could follow. You've got, you've, I know what my, I'm going to do my weeknights. I, I feel like it's probably the perfect town <laughs> for me, that one. That absolutely. Um, I, I, if, if I wasn't married with kids, that sounds like a, a great place to live. North Carolina. <laughs> Never thought about that, but yeah, you know, I I've kind of kept an eye on them ever since they grabbed um, a transfer from Boston college, Dominique Davis, who mm-hmm. threw for, as I said, on Monday, roughly like 800,000 yards. It felt like for the, for the pirates, he was quite the quarterback for, for ECU after struggling with Boston college, but I, I agree. I think it's going to be a, a, a good game. I think, uh, ECU is, is got a good offense. And if Boston, it's all going to depend on where Jakovic's at at this point. Like he clearly at those last two games, he clearly looked not a hundred percent and was struggling in the cold. Maryland is cold <laughs> and he's going to yes. be, so hopefully, you know, he's got a whole month to continue to heal and um, that'll, that'll kind of get him to where he needs to be. And we'll, we'll get to see what he does. And cause he's going to get a whole nother year coming up next year. Right, I'd like to briefly talk about my favorite moment as a BC football oh, fan. Oh, please. I Friday, almost, yeah, go ahead. Friday night game against Florida State, like in what was like 2016 or something like that. Oh, oh yes. I forget what you, yeah. Yes. I was sitting, uh, I, I, I got there like five minutes before the kickoff. I got, I, uh, I, I had season tickets with a buddy. I ended up being there by myself that night. And I was, I, I would sit way up by the press box on the uh, opposing sideline. And yep. I looked up into the booth, like when BC was just, just absolutely eviscerating that Florida State team, costing Jimbo his job. Yep. Just a fantastic evening to be a BC football fan. I looked up to my left in the booth, and Mac Brown was there. I flashed him the hook of horns, and he handed me a piece of paper, you know, an autographed piece of paper out the window that uh, evening. So that's awesome. I was so I have a funny story about that game too because I was at that game. That was right before I had my my first child, and um, I was there with my parents and my friends and my dad. My dad goes to all the games with me. He's he's not a BC grad, but he loves BC sports. Uh, I've had him on the podcast before, and he we, we've gone to many, many, many games where BC gets smoked. I can remember the Red Bandana game against Clemson, where BC just got annihilated, and he made me sit through it because he's like, "I want to see Deshaun Watson. He's a great player." Blah blah blah. And so 
we're watching that same game and BC is just beating the snot out of Florida state. And he's going, I want to leave. And I'm like, hold on a second. You made me leave for so many uh, stay for so many games where Boston college is getting crushed. And now they're doing it to someone else. And you want to leave. And he's like, yeah, it's not fun. I'm like, Oh man, I am done with this conversation, dad. This is it. So I, I remember that game very distinctly because that was one of the, the highlights of um, Steve Adazio's years in Boston College. So Clayton, we're out of time. Um, tell us, tell people how they can follow you on social media. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Clayton Truder, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-T-R-U-T-O-R. Um, my book is called Loserville, How Professional Sports Remade, uh, how professional sports remade Atlanta and How Atlanta Remade Professional Sports. It's available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all those places. I'm also on Facebook, and I'd love to be your friend as well. And you can check me out writing about Cincinnati on Down the Drive. All right, Clayton, thank you so much. We'll have to have you on again soon. And um, good luck with your book. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks. All right. This is AJ Black. We'll be back again on Monday. We're going to be talking about Boston College basketball. who will be facing off against St. Louis this weekend in a big game for the Eagles. Can Earl Grant play a team that is going to be a big challenge for them? And it's the Battle of Com Ave. Boston College and BU play in college hockey this weekend. Again, another big game. We'll talk all about that. We'll have recruiting news. We'll have transfer news. Man, it's going to be a busy week coming up on Locked On Boston College. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Locked On BC or at AJ Black underscore BC. And make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you all again soon. Take care, everyone.